L Fanboy, episode 63. Hi, everybody. Mario Francisco Robles MFR here with you and this is the 63rd edition of the El Fanboy podcast. How's everybody doing out there? It has been about it's been 2 weeks since the last episode. I had to miss last week cuz my schedule has been bananas and you might even be able to tell from my voice that I'm a little raspy. I've uh, I've just I've been working it's it's been a marathon. It's been a marathon of work here and for, you know for uh, my day job as a DJ entertainer. And uh, every other day I'm rushing out and either doing two parties or one and I'm racing all over the New York tri-state area entertaining people and it's a lot of fun but it's very exhausting. Now the meat and potatoes of this episode is going to be my long form conversation with Justin Shanlin of the Shanlin on Batman podcast. He's an awesome dude. He's had me on his show a couple of times and it was about time I had him on this one. We'd been saying for ages that we just had to wait for the right week have the stars align, we have some big DC stuff to talk about, and this week, oh my goodness, I mean, we couldn't have asked for a better week as as DC fans, could we? But look, yeah, I'm going to get into all of that with Justin, so for now, what I want to talk about is, is, is about the importance of Aquaman, because right now, as I say, as I'm recording this, I'm staring at a gorgeous picture of underwater Atlantis, of Atlanteans riding sharks, and it just looks unbelievable. Um, it was, okay, so the importance of Aquaman, okay? Because right now, it, it's easy for him to sort of get lost in the shuffle, right? You know, uh, a few weeks ago, all the big talk was Shazam. And a couple days ago, all the big talk was Wonder Woman 1984. And Aquaman, you know, things have been sort of quiet, right? Everyone's been asking for a trailer. Everyone, you know, there's been all kinds of hopes and prayers that we would get to lay eyes on what James Wan is working on over there. And, you know, so perhaps it's their own fault. But regardless of whose fault it is, people have been sort of sleeping on Aquaman. And I was speaking to, to someone, you know, close to the situation. And they explained to me that Aquaman's actually incredibly important to DC's plans because they're going to gauge a lot about the success and the, the the state of the franchise on Aquaman. And it's, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense, but it's it's something that I feel has gotten somewhat lost in the shuffle as we're, you know, it, it, there always seems to be a new DC project for us to talk about and speculate on and think about. But in actuality, a lot of it hinges on Aquaman. Because that's going to be the first movie post-Justice League where Warner Brothers and DC and now the new owners, you know, the AT&T and, you know, the, now it's a big corporate, you know, a conglomerate. You know, the, the merger went through on Wednesday and we're going to discuss that later with Justin also. But right now, you know, that Aquaman's going to be the first opportunity to see how audiences feel about DC and how willing they are to venture past the very, very mainstream core beloved pop culture characters. Because listen, as cool as Aquaman is, and as much as I enjoyed him in Justice League and in that brief glimpse in BVS, you know, you got to remember to to the mass audiences, Aquaman is kind of like just that dude who talks to fish. You know what I mean? He doesn't necessarily have that like household brand name of like a Batman or a Superman or a Wonder Woman or even a Flash. 
So, you know, he's going to kind of help show the studio if there's an appetite for like the B and C level DC characters. Um, because, you know, how do I put this? If Aquaman does well, then that will open up the floodgates for a lot of the other, you know, the, the movies about lesser known characters, less top tier characters that we've heard in development and some of the more riskier projects. Aquaman will basically give them the, the go ahead to proceed with those. If for some reason Aquaman doesn't do so hot and it shows that people have cooled off on DC considerably and are not interested in anyone outside of like the core characters, then, you know, a lot of the, the, the in-development projects may suddenly go the way of the dodo. And this is coming to me directly from a source. You know, they say that, you know, a lot of eyes are on Aquaman. That's why this week was super important. And they very sort of deliberately structured this week to, to, to build anticipation and really get the Aquaman hype train out of the station. Because right now, what I'm being told is beyond Aquaman, the only like, quote unquote, sure things, safe bets that are being discussed within the studio as like they're going to absolutely make and that, you know, the, it's not just something that's being in development that we'll, you know, we'll see how it plays out. The, 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 the sure thing, safe bets, shockingly, or not, are um, obviously Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman and uh, Harley Quinn. They, they they view the Harley Quinn brand as as big. For you know, I I, I can't you know I, I can probably make some guesses as to why, but you know for them the big success of Suicide Squad they hang all of that in terms of the box office, not in terms of how people you know like the film, but in terms of its box office, they, they, their market research has led them to believe that there is a huge audience for Harley Quinn and for Margot Robbie. So they've kind of bumped her up to their A-list. It's kind of funny to think, right? Because Harley Quinn, you know, you, you don't think of her on the same level as the Trinity. But over at Warner Brothers and DC Entertainment, that's how they view her. So right now, you know, the, in their eyes, the sure things are Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Harley Quinn, of all people. And that's why I also hear that one of the next big movies that will get somewhat of a spotlight or there should be some more, some new news on, be it casting, be it something else, is Birds of Prey. And this falls in line with what I've been saying for a while here, that Birds of Prey is basically taking the place of Suicide Squad 2 for now. Because Suicide Squad 2, you know, as I told you on this show a couple weeks ago, you know, it, it was practically not a thing anymore. And that's why they had to bring in a new writer uh, about a week ago to, to take a new pass at the script. Because right now they're, you know, they're not feeling so confident about the state of that sequel. Right now they're much hotter on Birds of Prey. So that is sort of leapfrogged over Suicide Squad 2 in terms of importance. And it's because of what they see in Harley Quinn. It's because of the potential they see in that character and how easy she is to market and how into it Margot Robbie is and what good casting it is to have Margot Robbie in the role. I mean, really, you know, she's almost as perfect for that role as like Chris Evans is for Captain America or Henry Cavill is for Superman or Gal Gadot has proven herself as Wonder Woman. So right now, you know, the, 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 the all eyes are on those main characters, okay? So Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, Harley Quinn. And beyond that, you know, Aquaman, the, 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 the success or failure of that film 
is going to let us know whether or not we're going to see some of the other, you know, some of the lesser known, some of the more off the beaten path characters. Like, you know, we've heard about Lobo and we've heard about Booster Gold and all this other stuff. If Aquaman doesn't do so hot, we're not going to see those movies. So that's why it's extremely important that they get people hyped. And I think they're doing an amazing job with it this week. You know, I think it, I think it's it's interesting how DC can so easily take control of the conversation. You know, there's something about their characters, there's something about the way that they do things that when they make announcements, the world pays attention. I feel like all of geekdom sort of comes to a crawl and focuses on their projects. Maybe that's just me being a, a DC fanboy. I don't know. But I just feel like there's there's a lot going on right now, right? You know, we have The Incredibles coming out. We have Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom coming out next week. We have all of the insanity coming out of E3 for, for, for people who are into gaming. We have these little tidbits that have been coming out of Cine Europe and all this other stuff going on. But I feel like the main driving bits of conversation that I see online all center on Wonder Woman 1984 and Aquaman. And I just, I find that very notable and interesting about the fact that, like, these characters, that library, that world really does capture people's imaginations in a way that's really sort of exciting. So, um, so yes, yeah, so that's really kind of all I wanted to say here at the outset before getting into the, uh, the conversation with Mr. Justin Shanlin of Shanlin on Batman. We're going to literally kind of tear into everything from the merger to everything with Jeff Johns to the all this in and out of Batman with the, you know Affleck staying or going and or the reboot and what Matt Reeves plans are you know all the big DC stories we're going to we're going to touch on we even we even touch on Flash and what came out this week about uh, you know being inspired by Back to the Future and all that sort of stuff so we're going to get into all of it but right now I just want to leave you with this idea of Aquaman is way more important than people seem to realize that internally Aquaman is the gatekeeper for everything beyond the A-list characters so keep that in mind and let's hope that the hype continues to, to, to build and that when Aquaman comes out in December, it's a huge runaway success because then that's going to basically open up the floodgates for everything else. All right. But for right now, it is my pleasure to bring on to the show the one and only Mr. Justin Shanlin of the Shanlin on Batman podcast. So Justin, welcome to the El Fanboy Podcast. It was it's been such a pleasure to have been on your show, Shanlin on Batman, twice. So now, you know, you owed me one and yeah, you know, we've been discussing for a while that we have to do this on a week where there's some big DC news, and this has been one hell of a week. So first things first, how you doing, Justin? I mean, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. To, like, I'm I'm glad we were finally able to make this, you know, kind of work out. We've been like flirting on Twitter and text yeah. messages. Yeah. For a bit, so. Okay, l l let's get right into it because the funny thing is, we were like, okay, we're, we're gonna do this on a week where there's like a a big DC story, and meanwhile, this week has just been like one thing after another. This has been an insane week. Like, just to recap, there was the insanity on Monday, which was like this big sort of like three-headed monster. Where it's like we find out that Jeff Johns is no longer the chief creative officer, 
But then we also find out that he's writing and producing Green Lantern Corps. And then in the same on that same night, Deadline drops that hint that that Ben Affleck is probably gone and that Matt Reeves wants to reboot Batman. So Monday was in, in crazier than a you know a bag of cats. And then in the last couple days, we've gotten our first official looks at Wonder Woman 1984, including finding out that's the name of the damn movie, and pictures of Steve Trevor. And then earlier today, we got like the, all the official new images of Aquaman. And it just feels like this, like DC has owned this week. It's it's pretty crazy considering everyone's like, oh, this is a dead franchise, and they should just reboot. And Justice League murdered it. Like, <laughs> look at this week how it came roaring back, and nobody's lamenting Justice League right now. You know. Well, if it, if it feels like a little like precursors or San Diego Comic Con, like this this week has, like you know how that week of San Diego Comic Con, you sit like you, you get they get seed everything, yeah. then on like Friday and Saturday it's that big like big reveals of everything. Yep. So it's like feeling like that because aren't we supposed to be getting like an Aquaman trailer this weekend or something? Yeah, pe- people are feeling that way. People are feeling like we're going to wake up tomorrow, Friday. I mean, Friday's when everyone's getting this episode. But for us right now, it's tomorrow. We're recording it Thursday night. But yeah, a lot of people are feeling like, oh, you know, they're just going to drop it out of nowhere on Friday or Saturday. I'm like... I I hope so, but I, I you know to me it sounds a little rare in this day and age where we tend to get like even teasers for trailers. I feel like it would be kind of uh, unprecedented at this point for them to just here's the Aquaman trailer, you know. Well, well, I heard like I saw something, some little rumor that Cinna Europe is going on this weekend, and that's where they're going to show some footage. Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's. I don't like. I'm kind of speaking out of place here. I don't know, like, if you know, like, you know me, Mario. I'm a huge, I'm a huge uh, proponent or, I guess that's not even the right word. I have issues with the marketing of uh, DC Films and Warner Brothers. But this week, like, I was like, why haven't they been doing this for the last couple years? What's been going on? So, I don't know. What's... Yeah. I'm excited for this talk, so let's do it. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's funny. I actually want to start with the thing that's probably the least sexiest of all the big DC stories this week. In fact, it's so unsexy, I actually forgot to mention it in my rundown of all the things that have happened this week. So that's pretty telling. But that's the fact that on Wednesday, the uh, the merger went through. The merger of, you know, Time Warner and AOL and all that sort of stuff. Like, that's, that's gone through. You know, remember, because that, that's sort of been quietly looming in the background for months now where people are wondering like well what happens if the sale falls through you know there's all these plans for the future and this this and that but if that sale falls through then there was the likelihood that time warner was going to suddenly break the company up into smaller chunks and then dc could end up someplace else and uh, didn't you hear some other people might be interested in buying dc i feel like we, we spoke about that in dm or am i making that up i it could have been that like I don't – nothing's like uh, like jumping – I'm sure at some point we, we talked about it. Yeah, I feel like, um, like Netflix or other people were kind of like uh, – Well, know. I feel like if the if the merger didn't go through – and I was one of the few people who was like, please don't let it go through because I'm not a big fan of AT&T as a company. Like I have like major issues with AT&T, like the internet service that they provide. Like I'm usually on the phone once a month dealing with it. Because they're a horrible, horrible company, <laughs> and if they if they run their their internet service 
like they do they're gonna run the movie studio i am not looking forward to it but from like from little tidbits bits i've heard um if the guy that they the at&t wants to put in charge of um of the studio like running the day-to-day after like the actual ceo because at this point i feel like kevin sushihara is a sitting duck yeah uh, like i feel like that that's like no big secret. Yeah, he's going to be the sacrificial lamb when the new, I mean, he's going to be the richest guy on the unemployment line. So, <laughs> um, and live in the nicest house in, on the unemployment line. But if they get churning, I think that's how you pronounce it, or churning. If, if they get him, I I'm told that, uh, from like a source that, uh, he's going to empower Toby and Walter even more, give them the space that they need. So that's a positive. Like I, I've, I, I wanted I, I wanted Netflix or Hulu or Amazon to buy Warner Brothers. I don't like the idea of Warner Brothers and DC having its separate streaming service, right? Yeah. I already, I already pay for Netflix. I'm going to get Hulu soon or Amazon. It's one of the two, right? So I have Netflix. But if Netflix buys it, bought, would have bought Warner Brothers, um, they could have – we could have had Netflix really empower the studio like we want them to, right? Like, yeah. if you look at how they run their Marvel shows, not like every like a lot of people like like look at what they did with Brighter. Look at like the, the, for the stuff that they really do, like their bread and butter, the TV shows, documentaries, it is fantastic. Oh, absolutely. And the streaming service that DC is about to unveil, I think, like in August or September or something, um, unless that unless that's like three ninety nine or two ninety nine, I'm not interested in it. I already own all the movies. I have all the animated series stuff. Um, it doesn't do anything for me to to really go and want to spend ten, eleven bucks for something because if you look at it, like Disney's about to to do their own streaming service, right? Yeah, which is still so has no only, name, yeah. Right, so not only do they have, like, the Disney library, they have Star Wars, they're going to have X-Men, they're going to have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're going to have, you know, Disney Channel stuff on there. It's just going to be, how can you compete with that? Yeah. So my thought process, well, if you get one of the major, those major streaming services to buy Warner Brothers, you could actually have a company who whose bread and butter is actually running a streaming service they could come in and just take over the dc streaming service they could have netflix have you know batman the animated series batman beyond the batman all the dc films and then everything else that they have and then they could really compete i don't see this as a viable uh profitable uh thing that you know that DC is going to do. Is it cool? Is it a good idea? Yes. But when you are, when there's already Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, then Disney's coming out, you know, I'm sure Comcast or HBO or, you know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It does it. It's going to get lost in the fold. So I was hopeful that Netflix or one of those would have brought it. It didn't go that way. I really thought like I was texting a buddy of mine, I was like, man, like I have this feeling, like, like that, 
it's not going to go through. It's going to be, you know, in 72 hours, we're going to get, we're going to hear from one of the major three streaming services or Apple or, you know, something like that. Yeah. You know, going to make a bid. And the ruling came back that it went through. So I was like, ugh. So I wasn't really like, I wasn't, I wasn't like devastated by it because if the guy that I've been told is going to run the studio runs the studio, I'll be happy. But at the same time, I'm just not like, I'm just like, ugh. I hear you. I mean, my my own feelings about the merger are fairly complicated because on the one hand, I am happy because I think you know, kind of like what you said, you know, this means that. You know, Toby Emmerich and Walter Hamada are going to be supported. It means that whoever bought it clearly knows what's going on, and they're court, and they're sort of you know tacitly approving of the current sort of administration that's kind of running things. And I'm enjoying the trajectory that things are on. I like the way Hamada is running things. I like the support he seems to have from Emmerich, and I'm excited to see where this goes. So on the one hand, I'm happy that the sale went through because now we know that these new owners are unlikely to mess with that, you know, because they 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 must have done all. All their due diligence and they spoken to everyone and they knew where dc was heading where warner brothers was heading and they said okay this is good we, we we want in on this business so on the one hand that's how i feel like oh that seems fairly encouraging on the other hand i i get very anxious about giant corporations and the fact that like is is this going to be a priority to them, or is this going is, is, is this going to be just some department of a gigantic corporation that's going to get lost in the shuffle? Which I believe you also mentioned too. Um, like, like, let me ask you: Did you ever watch pro, uh, professional wrestling? Were you ever a wrestling fan? I watched. I was a WWF fan up until about five years ago. Once, like Stone Cold and The Rock and John Cena kind of like started like really getting away from it. Like I loved it, you know, like generation X. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, you know, X Pac, triple H like that. That was what, what, when the WWF was like really huge with stone cold and the rock. That's when I really liked it. Are you trying to, are you trying to bring up the point where the WWF bought WCW and ECW and they had like the big, no, not even that. Oh, no, okay. not even that. Actually, pre, pre, you know, uh, predating that, it's 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 what led to WCW going under. And in fact, it actually involved AOL, Time Warner, and all this sort of stuff too. So I, I see a strange sort of connection here because WCW was always just part, like it, it was a small department of a much giant, uh, a much larger like media conglomerate, part of like Turner Networks. And it was like one of a million things that they had going on at Turner. And the problem was only Turner really cared about WCW. It was like his little pet project. But no one else in the corporation knew how to run it. No, no one cared. They were kind of embarrassed that they owned a wrestling company. They wanted it gone. And WCW suffered because of that, because they didn't have the right people calling the shots and they kept on changing management. And it was more about trying to appease a bunch of figureheads at a boardroom table than actually running a company the right way and mining the characters and building up the brand for what it could be. And ultimately, the company fell apart because of mismanagement, because it slipped through the cracks. And I, I, part of me worries that that, you know, that could happen with DC in this sort of situation. That's why I kind of wished like maybe a smaller company that could focus, you know, give it, give it its full attention, would have gotten its hands on it. Well, I don't think Warner. I don't think at this point, if you look at the at at 20th Century Fox, 
if you look at like they could they just couldn't find a way to really compete you know like you, like the whole world of entertainment's kind of changing it's going to continue to change with the streaming services and pretty sure i have a feeling in a couple years that cable services are actually going to go out the window yeah. because they're going to the, cuz i know like living in texas i know a lot of people who go and have antennas you know like straight up in their apartments or in their houses and then they just have you know, uh, Netflix or they, or they buy like, I have like H I think it's HBO now or something yeah. like it's going to continually change. I understand what you're saying. Like I have, you know, issues with AT&T as a whole. I, if they get the guy involved, let, I'll just say he has run movies before. So he was the guy who was in charge with, with, with Titanic and Avatar. Okay. All so right. if, so if he, it's from what I don't I don't know a lot about him, but from the information that was relayed to me, yeah. he is going to empower those in charge. He's not gonna, you know, he's not gonna, you know, cut. I, he's not gonna micromanage them and undermine and try to change what's going on. He knows the plan and he's gonna try to you know support Emric and 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 Hamada. But they but at the same time they could cut he, whoever comes in. Who you know could be this guy? Could be like an, a, a female? Could be you know an alien? They could they <laughs> literally could. They could literally come in and say, clean, "Let's clean house. Let's start fresh. Let's yeah. start over the the DC f- franchise. We have five or ten films, or how many films we have already. That was you know then. Here's what's going on now. So plans going forward. You know the only the only films that i see going forward um over the next couple years are the movies that have already been in production shazam aquaman uh wonder Wonder woman Woman yeah and and batman i don't i don't see you know the those other slates i mean obviously birds of prey is about to go in production seems like suicide squad 2 is kind of like it's like coming. yeah there's movement there's something going on there so it's 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 curious to see what they come do, what their plan is. I'm I'm hopeful that uh, that they come in with the next few months. Shishihara gets fired. Uh, they clean house at the marketing department. They kind of like look back and and see what's going on. I I'm well. <laughs> I'm hopeful for what Homada's gonna do, but I'm kind of like a wait and see. I got you. I got you. All right. Well, you know, since I am excited about what Hamada is working on, I hope to see it get supported. Let's talk a little bit about what Hamada is working on. So this week, you know, they've been sort of carefully unveiling certain bits of promotion, right? You know, everyone's wondering, you know, when is Aquaman going to be promoted? You know, when are we going to start the hype train on some of these other DC projects? Because things have kind of been stuck in neutral ever since November 17th of last year. You know, ever since Justice League. Things have been fairly silent and quiet on the public DC front. And this week they came out swinging. You know, those two official images from Wonder Woman 1984 were pretty kick-ass. First you have, you know, you have Diana in front of all the screens and, you know, the the 80s thing. And, you know, I'm very fascinated by this whole 1984 angle and and Big Brother and Orwell. And I feel like they're going to get very sort of like political and and, uh, allegorical in this film. And to me, I, I can't wait to see what Patty Jenkins and, and Jeff Johns came up with there with that script. 
Uh, and then there was the you know the, the image of Steve Trevor, which came out, and that got everyone buzzing because how can that be? You know, we saw him die, and obviously this is some sort of like fantasy scenario or some. some did, something. did we see him die? Like I wasn't on. We didn't see inside the plane. Okay, okay. There but, was no body. Well, let me tell you. Does he look like he's aged uh, seventy years in in, um, in the photo that we saw? Maybe. <laughs> uh, it's it, maybe he moisturizes. I'll say this. I'm glad that I, I, I heard a rumor that he was coming back like a little bit of, like a while ago. And I'm glad that they got those images out. And it, it's it doesn't it, it kind of like makes me scratch my head is like, why didn't they Shazam? Right? Gonna, well, Shazam. But if the whole marketing behind Superman for Justice League is like really brought to mind. I was like, well, why didn't so they're gonna put Steve Trevor out there and you know a still of him? Why didn't they do that with Superman? Why didn't they put him on a poster? Well, it's just yeah, it's it's back to those kind See, of. See the the, the thing for me is you know there, there there is a new sheriff in town. Things are different, so it's hard to compare what's happening now to what's happened you know in the past because you know Hamada's had this job since January. So basically, everything we're seeing now is how things are going to conceivably be from now on. Like assuming he hangs on to the job and these next few films do really well. Now, I agree that there's an odd inconsistency, though, between how Wonder Woman was handled and how Shazam was handled. Where they, the, To this day, I mean, you know, the, well, all we got was that one little picture of him, you know, uh, drinking the drink with the straw, which that, 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 that wasn't even like an official shot. It was Zach Lev- Levy you know, standing in front of a poster. You know what I mean? So it is weird that Shazam kind of got this very sort of casual unveiling and Wonder Woman got these epic first shots that are very revelatory and very interesting. Um, But either way, you know, go ahead. There's a buzz around Wonder Woman 1984. And I tweeted like a couple months ago. I was like, there's this like weird art. Like the only other time I felt this aura around like a, a sequel to a superhero film was The Dark Knight. Yeah. You know, with Kristen Wiig as Cheetah, there's that backlash with her. Um, yeah, she's the have, Heath Ledger in this scenario. I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't say she's like as talented as Heath Ledger. Oh, she's no, of a course. talented. She's a talented actress for sure. Every anything I've ever seen her in, I've been, you know, enthralled and interested, and in. she's you know, very attractive. What I she's meant really was good. what I meant was in terms of like unconventional casting that right, people right. initially flip out about. Like that's what I mean by she's like the Heath Ledger in this. You know, right, comparison. right. Like there, there's just there's just this weird kind of like aura, and like you said, like there's might be some allegorical, you know, Big Brother kind of a thing. And it, you know, it's obviously going to do with the Cold War. What are we dealing with, kind of right now with yep. you know, Russia? Like it's kind of like that with the Dark Knight. With the Dark Knight, kind of dealt with yeah, um, surveillance, you know, uh, mass data mining stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's just weird aura. I I'm not trying to like compare the two films. I'm just saying like there's just weird like interesting buzz i can't put my fingers on what that is yeah, it feels but, bigger than your average superhero sequel for sure it feels monumental in some way shape or form in ways that most part twos are not nowadays you know um now and now and, you know then we also got all those new images of aquaman so you know, what are you thinking of what we've seen so far i mean they showed us all the, these first looks at all these different characters black like, manta yeah woo <laughs> black uh, let me let me just repeat that black manta <laughs> K- say it say it black black 
Manta. How awesome did that look? It looks unbelievable. <laughs> and I'm not like, even, I, I don't even know a lot about Aquaman's mythology, but from you know, it, it, I'm now I'm like I'm so in, <laughs> like just from these images. If they follow the Jeff John storyline from a couple years back, holy, holy crap! Yeah, just whoa. So I'm I'm I I'm loving the. I don't know. There's something. There's something about the images that we saw. I'm loving how like crisp the look and the feel that we were getting. It's it's not like super like high tech like a Daft Punk. I mean not Daft Punk, but like a Tron. <laughs> yeah. Always like yeah. a Tron kind of feel to it. But it's got this like weird, like really everything's like super in focus and really clear. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Images, but they're. I'm used to like the the Zack Snyder aesthetic where things are a little bit more muted and dark, which is I like I like Zack Snyder. I like Larry Fong. I like the guy who did Justice League. I'm just saying like it just the color palette was a little bit more. It popped a little better. I don't know. What yeah. did you? Think? No, I agree. I agree. The, the The look is way more. It it does pop more. Um, it has. I don't know. There's something about every Aquaman image so far that looks like it has like it, it, the, the these still images sort of bounce off the screen. Even that initial shot where he's like walking around inside a submarine. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. There's just something. Yeah, you're, there's something about the contrast and the colors. And you know, I'm I'm totally with you there. Um, but I, I'm glad you mentioned Jeff Johns though because. So there's also been like another interesting subtext this week about Jeff Johns, um, because you know ever since Justice League, the big question's been you know is he demoted? Is he being phased out? Is his voice getting you know lessened within everything, or is it getting elevated? Or what is the story? And if you pay attention, he's everywhere all of a sudden. Actually, like he may not be the chief creative officer anymore. Which, by the way, I don't think that's a job he really wanted. I I was talking about this on my other podcast with my other hosts. Talking about the fact that that always felt to me kind of like PR, like they 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 made him, they elevated him within the company in mid 2016 as a way to try to make peace with people who were you know fans who were upset with BVS and they thought maybe it would help kind of like the image a little bit. But either way, Jeff Johns, Han, I I, I have a feeling you have something you want to say about that, but it's it's interesting. Like I'm sorry for cutting you off. Go ahead. No, no, I just want to point out though that like. Now he's everywhere. So we find out that he's writing and producing Green Lantern Corps, right? We already knew that he was co-writing Wonder Woman 1984 with Patty Jenkins. That was announced a year ago. And it was revealed that he has a co-writing credit on Aquaman. So it's like if you look at his fingerprints now are all over this next wave of DC movies. And I think that's very telling. And I think it shows you that like Warner Brothers was not as stupid as they looked. Because you know, a, a lot of the concern was like they, they were going to hang the L on him for Justice League. They were going to blame him, even though he was really put in a thankless position. And you, you can't blame him for what happened. You know, that was a team failure, what happened there. And there was, there was a, there's a lot that went wrong with Justice League that was not just Jeff Johns. So it looks like he's not taking the L. They're actually giving him more of a creative driving voice in this process. But do you think that they made kind of like a deal with him to say, all right, you're going to be the one who takes, you know, the brunt of this. But in in doing so, 
will let you do whatever you want. Like, what is there a project you want to do? Like, you're going to take a beating, you know, online. You're going to take the fall for this. You're going to fall on the sword. What do you want to do? See, I, I don't think that sort of conversation happened in advance. I honestly think that they naively felt that they could get away with it, that, that, that somehow – that they could tweak Justice League enough during production that no one would notice and it would be a huge hit. I mean, they saw Disney do it with Rogue One and they pulled that off. You know, I, I kind of feel like they really thought that, that they could have. And then it, it wasn't until the very, like, towards the end of the process where they're like, yeah, this, this didn't work out. Well, I feel like with Justice League, it was supposed to be two movies, remember? Yeah. It was supposed to be part one, part two. And when you... When you strip that away and you and you and you make it and you make a two part story into one part and then you don't give the the filmmakers enough time you don't get you, you're telling them you're not confident in the in the in the filmmaking process as it is as a whole right like yeah that's what you're telling them like look BVS didn't work let's instead of you know doing a you know an entire page one rewrite let's make part that's instead of doing justice league as two parts let's just make it one yeah well you know what here can you do that like it's like can no no i no. I, I, I think i i see where you're going with this but here's kind of how i see what played out there because you know there was a great report in the wall street journal a while ago that tried to detail all this stuff where basically in 2016 a couple of months into principal photography for Justice League, Jeff Johns, you know, th th that's when he got the big promotion. It was like June or July. And it was around that time where he overhauled the script there. Like, like that was the first of the two big overhauls. And at that point, I thought, yeah, I, th I think that the studio felt confident that maybe they could write the ship there, right? Then in March of 2017, once the assembly cut was put together and they saw what had come out of that, that's when they got that, that's when they realized, oh, this isn't going to work. And they got Joss Whedon in. And around then is where the confidence suddenly just completely sort of disappeared. And they asked Whedon to just make the two stories into one. And you know, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's where they realized it. And Mar I think March of 2017 was when they sort of threw in the towel and said, OK, you know, this is. We're gonna do what we can. We're gonna, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna make nips and nips and tucks. But this thing is not gonna be a runaway success anymore. Well, I feel like if they knew it back then, they should have. What they should have done is move them. They should have paused everything, pushed the movie back to summer, uh, you know, of th this summer. Give Whedon enough time to make the tweaks that he. I don't, like that. Of I course. mean. We're you know we're beating a dead horse at this point. The movies come out, Blu-rays come out. We we know like. Do you want to go back and talk no, about? No, I know, I know. But it's just, <laughs> we were talking about Jeff Johns and you know how he got elevated and whether or not he deserves to take the L, you know. But to me, it doesn't look like he's taking the L. You know what I mean? It looks like he got out of a job that he was sort of ill-suited for anyway. And now he gets to focus on just being a content creator, which is really that's his strength, using his imagination and writing and mining the DC archives and telling fascinating stories. You know, so now he gets to do what he actually was born to do. You know, and he's doing it all over the place. You know, he's doing it on Aquaman, he's doing it on Green Lantern Corps, and he's doing it on Wonder Woman 1984. 
You know, so I just, if anything, after all of the ups and downs and the and the curiosity as to whether or not Jeff Johns is going to be the next person to leave. Because remember, John Berg left right away. They kind of moved him away. Diane Nelson phased herself out and then retired. So people were wondering, like, oh, okay, so Johns might be next. But, Sue Kroll got shit canned. Yeah, you know, the, the, it, it's been a bit of a bloodbath over there, and there were some people, probably you know, people with access to grind who were hardcore, you know, uh, proponents of a certain director. But you know, th- they were thinking that Jeff Johns might, you know, he he he's next, and quite the contrary, he's pretty much like, you know, he's he's doing quite nicely right about now. Well, well, it's interesting if we look at his career. He has always been a strong storyteller, and that goes back to Richard Donner. Yeah. So he he is a fascinating writer. He knows how to put words on the page. He knows how to make scenes and things. He knows how to turn things on its head. Shazam, Aquaman. Uh, Green Lantern Corps. Those are he, you know, his Batman stuff's really good. But where his strengths are is taking the characters that no one that are famous that are out there, like that are like I'd say like the top ten, you know, of the DC characters. Like yeah. obviously Batman, Superman, one of them top three. But do you consider Aquaman like number four or five? I'd consider Aquaman like seven or eight. Yeah, kind of interesting character. But he knows how to make the tweak those characters mold them and give them balls and give it like an interesting (laughs) kind to kind of uh take on these characters and really it's if if you look at jeff johns as a career there's like he he gravitates to a character he writes that character and then that's how the character is seen from then on yeah, you kind of for you kind of parse away all the all the side streets, all the avenues that the character has gone on, and he's able to take the best of the character, elevate those elements, and bring something new to it. And from that moment on, that is how that character is seen from the moment that he gets to it. So you know, look if you look at you know Wonder Woman the film. I mean, how how many years did they try to get that? You know, they tried a TV show. Jessalyn tried to make a movie about it. Um, And then he gets on board. You know, Patty Jenkins is a powerful director, fantastic filmmaker. But them two working together, it's got to be a match made in heaven because they, they, they know each other's strengths and weaknesses, it seems. And, you know, going forward with Green Lantern Corps... I'm excited because I know what that movie can be and what it was not back in 2000. What when did Green Lantern come out? 2011. 2011, yeah. So I'm looking forward to like that big space operatic, uh, intergalactic, you know, whatever that's yeah. going to be. So. I hear you. And by the way, just while, you know, while we're talking about Mr. Johns' strengths, and then I want to talk a little bit about Green Lantern Corps. But in terms of his strengths, too, I think the reason that his versions of characters tend to be the ones that stick is because he has this way of honoring the history while still making it fresh, you know, doing his twist right, on right. it. Right, Absolutely. You know what I, I mean? agree. Yeah, like there's always stuff like in any sort of reinvention of his that I've read, there's clearly a deep love for what's come before. 
you know, so he clearly understands it and he works in little homages and you know that that sort of stuff is in there. It's in the DNA of this character, but he's also going to do his little twist on it. You know what I mean? So the fact that he honors the past while making it fresh, I think is one of his greatest gifts, you know, and not to see him be able to do that on the big screen with some of these characters. I can't wait. I, I simply cannot wait. Now, when it comes specifically now to Green Lantern Corps, which seems to be the next thing that like you know, he's work, he's putting everything into now. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it may, may, maybe you've done your diligence better than I have. But what, what does this mean for Goyer's crack at the script? Because remember, last year it was announced that, th that it was David Goyer working on it, and it was going to be like a, a you know a takeoff on like Lethal Weapon almost. Is he gone now, or is this just John's I, ship? I haven't. I have to be straight up honest. I haven't like really had the time to really like investigate it. I'll save this about David Goyer. Goyer is a great ideas man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's not a great screenwriter. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be honest. I call a spade a spade. It is what it is. Batman begins the first draft of Batman begins as important that that movie comes out like this is Thursday. Tomorrow's June 15th. So the what, what are we looking at? Like 13 years since that movies come out. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you read that first that that draft that Goyer did, there's a lot of the elements that made it into that. But what Christopher Nolan was able to do is really make that a cinematic story. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, for instance, I, did you ever read the first, like the Goyer Batman Begins script? No, I. It's not something that I do. So I'll I'll give you like a brief example. So remember how like at the very beginning of that movie he climbs the mountain. Yes. So the, and, and then at the like right before he leaves, um, you know the the monastery, he the, it kind of explodes and all that stuff. Yeah. But before, right before that, they do that like ninja thing where they're kind of like <laughs> yeah. So that so so what Goyer had done is he made that him Bruce climbing the mountain that was his task okay. to become a member of the League of Shadows. So that just shows you, like, he's a great ideas man. Like, he knows he knows these characters, you know, backwards and forward. But when it comes to actually putting the words onto the page and making something, you know, really, you know, tight and, you know, you know, really. Yeah, like it's take it from there. idea and put it into action and really so bring I it to life. I think that's what's going to happen with Green Lantern Corps. I feel like, okay, here's where Goyer – I don't think it's going to be a page of one rewrite. Like I'll, I'll look into it and see what I can figure out with well, with, well, with what, that. But I, I think that what's going to happen is like there's going to be – here's the Goyer script. Okay, we're, 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 we're at a place where we can use elements of it, but we need to strengthen it. We need to add – a few more things here or there. I think that's. I feel like that's where Goyer, and they've worked together. Like they've actually written comics together, yeah. Goyer and John. So that's how I kind of see it playing out. I don't think it's to be a complete page one rewrite. But then again, what do I know? Because because uh, you know what's notable to me is like if you look at the actual Hollywood Reporter article, the one that announces that he's writing and producing Green Lantern Corps, it doesn't mention Goyer at all. You know what I mean? That's what makes me wonder if maybe whatever Goyer was working on is now it's gone the way of the dodo, and now this is John's baby. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe I like it's it's something that I didn't even think about when until you just you know brought it up a couple minutes yeah. ago. 
So uh, maybe maybe they toss it out, but I, I I feel like they have a good working relationship. I feel like Goyer at, will be involved in some way, shape, or form. I'm sure it won't be heavily involved. Yeah, I'm sure. I I feel like the, you know with any Goyer script, there there's things there, there's elements there that you can use, but it's not, you know, you know, the Blade movies for instance. You yeah, know, especially that last Blade movie, Batman Begins. Um, I'm trying to think what else has he worked on that I didn't really care for. Uh, I don't know. I don't even, I'm drawing a blank of, it's, it's been right. a long day. So it, listen, but, I hear you. I mean, what, what do you think? Do you think that, uh, do you think they're going to do a complete page one rewrite or do you think that, you know, they're going to use elements? See, my, my sort of hunch is, you know, Warner Brothers kind of has a knack. I mean, lots of studios do this, but Warner Brothers has a knack for actually having separate teams developing almost like competing scripts and then going with the one that they like best. You know, and I kind of wonder if this John's version of Green Lantern Corps is like a separate version of the movie. And maybe with this announcement, this is the way of saying that, like, we're going with 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 John's, you know, with Jeff's pitch as opposed to what Goyer was working on. Because, you know, there have been reports in the past in The Hollywood Reporter and elsewhere where, like, at one point there were, like, three versions of Aquaman and a few versions of Wonder Woman, you know? So part of me wonders if, you know, Goyer had his thing and John's has been working on his thing and this announcement on The Hollywood Reporter on Monday basically is them saying, we chose Jeff's script. You know, that's kind of what I think. But, you know, I guess we'll see how it plays out. You know, I mean that if that's how it is, I'm happy with that. I think that's a a great way to really, you know, get the best product out of it. Like I really do. I think that's a, a really great way to kind of work. Yeah. So as as long as you're not getting like six and seven writers, like trying to yeah. write Transformers script. Yeah. Like that's where that's when you I see trouble. But you know, even if even if they decide to use David Goyer script, that I'm I bet. That that script is better than the movie that we got back in 2011. Oh, for Just sure. Saying. Oh, for sure. Um, and by the way, this is like sort of uniquely awesome if you think about it, because of the fact that Jeff Johns has written some seminal Green Lantern books. Like, think about it in general. Like, how many times have we seen a film, you know, a comic book adaptation that was actually written or co-written by the person, you know, by, by someone who wrote the books? You know what I mean? Like, right. I, like I think about Sin City where I think you know, Frank Miller I think helped write those with Robert Rodriguez or maybe he did write them outright. I don't know. I, I don't have it in front of me. But you know Frank Miller was involved with Sin City and, and you know and that was – at least the first one was a big success. Um, three, did, did he also write 300 or is that Snyder? You see, I'm not, I, I don't have it in front of me. I would have to research it. Maybe I'll try to do that covertly while we're talking here. But um, but overall, like it, it's a pretty neat idea to actually have someone who wrote the books writing the movie. You know what I mean? Like in this age where comic book movies are, are, are king, you know, how many times have we seen a scenario like this? You know, it's pretty wild. And in terms of like, you know, for 300, the screenplay is credited to Zack Snyder, Kurt Johnstad, Michael B. Gordon. There's a lot of names here. Uh, Frank Miller was not involved at all in the scripting of 300. Just so you okay. Know. But um, I just learned something. Yeah. 
But uh, either way, it's just it, it's I, I feel like that's something that's kind of also kind of flown under people's radars. Like it's pretty damn awesome to actually have someone who's written the books writing a movie like, you know, th- there's going to be a cohesiveness of vision here that I feel could be second to none, especially if he's properly supported and if they get a great director. So with that in mind, you know, I, I let let my listeners know who your top pick is to direct Green Lantern Corps. Well, when you get a when you get a writer like Jeff Johns, I feel like you attract a list directors. Like they want to work, like they see how he worked well with, you know, Patty Jenkins. Uh, they see how he continues to work with Patty Jenkins. Now that we find out that he worked and helped script James Wan's Aquaman, it seems like they worked well together. I feel like he attracts a list directors. I want Peter Jackson involved in directing the film. Okay. I feel like I feel like Peter Jackson, he hasn't done anything in a while since The Hobbit. He's working on Mortal Engines. Um that's which is, you know, he's just producing, he wrote the script and but Christian Rivers who was a storyboard artist on the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the Hobbit films, he like that's kind of his baby, but you know, we see and feel like the Jackson kind of like sensibilities in that in that first trailer. Um, he's Jackson has a relationship with the studio. I know that he came out, you know, a week or two ago and said, he's like, I don't even like comic books, but then again, he produced Tintin, which is a comic. Yeah. Um, I feel like he was being directed. I, I didn't, I didn't get to hear the, I didn't, I didn't hear the, the audio or the video, see video of it. I just read what was in the trades, but, uh, that's who I want. I feel like it just, there's something about. You know, the epic nature of the films that he makes and being out in space and all that stuff. Yeah. I don't know. For, for whatever reason, as soon as someone asks, you know, me all the time, you know, who do you want for this role? Who do you want to direct this? I always try to think like out of the box, not yeah. the conventional thinking. And so I was like, man, who could really bring this like three hour epic? Because that's how I see Green Lantern. It's got to be a three hour movie. So I'm thinking Peter Jackson, and you know I really would love to see or hear some Daft Punk, um, you know, do the score for that. Yes, yes, that's something that you told me about on your show. So now I want to pass it along to my listeners. Uh, you know, Justin here put me onto something that I, I I was totally unaware of. I didn't know that Daft Punk actually scores movies. I don't know, or maybe they've only scored a movie. But he sent me some soundtrack bits from Tron Legacy which was scored by Daft Punk. And now I'm like, wow, I want these guys to do a comic book movie now. Like, I want to hear what they would do with Green Lantern. I, I feel like that is like their, their, I keep saying bread and butter tonight, but that's like their, <laughs> what, I, I don't think you've seen Tron Legacy, but that's kind of like what how I kind of feel, Yeah, you know, because they're sort that of like Green Lantern and technological, and you know, I and that, that's their whole image too. They look like a couple of you know sexy robot DJs. So yeah, probably the best score that's not like a superhero film in like the last twenty five years. Yeah, like Hans Zimmer's great. I love him, but that's I listen to that soundtrack once or twice a week, like the entire thing. <laughs> they they are amazing. So like, so your dream project for you, you, your dream Green Lantern is Peter Jackson in the director's chair, script by Jeff Johns, score by the by Daft Punk. 
yeah, if they if Daft Punk just you know said you know hey let's just we're just gonna do a score for like a Green Lantern movie that we've never seen, yeah. I would listen to that too. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. So, but the, it's I don't. There's really not anyone else that I've thought about to do like to do a Green Lantern film. But you do realize if Jackson were to take it, this would be the next. This this would be the second time he has to adapt a story about a guy with a very powerful ring. <laughs> I mean, I have thought about that. So uh, I didn't like. I didn't think like. I didn't think of like that. Yeah, going, I know. Like I didn't I was like I didn't put those two and like, two oh, together. He's good with rings, so we should do that. I know you weren't but, thinking of the, that. He but. that that cosmic <laughs> supernatural yeah. kind of like like I feel like he has those. He can make it like very serious tone, but he can have like the little funny. And you know, the the I feel like the one of the main major reasons I thought of Peter Jackson is because the the Green Lantern Corps is a core made up of you know Hal Jordan, yeah, Kyle Rayner, you know, you know John Stewart. So I feel like he is the one that's best suited for giving you know Jessica Cruz to giving those you know those characters their due and able to really bring out you know finding those you know those moments with them and you know I'd love to see Vigo Mortensen as Sinestro just saying oh wow that's an interesting choice I like that I he like supposed that a to be lot General's, he was he was supposed to be General Zod in Man of Steel Remember, he was like rumored to be like in talks to do General Zod, and yeah. then Mike. So I, I want Vigo wow. Mortensen. Wow, I like that. I like that a lot. All right, all right. Now look, I can't have you know Justin Shanlin and on my show and not talk a good amount about Batman because. Do you want to talk about the Flash? Not really. <laughs> you, you know what? You don't want to talk about well, like what? that Flash. What? What do you want well, to say? The, well, the Back the, to the Future thing. Yeah, the Back to the Future thing. Yeah, like, I mean that, you... that sounds really cool. That's uh, I mean, listen, it, it, it definitely makes the uh, the old rumors about Robert Zemeckis sound a lot more. Uh, they make a lot more sense now, don't they? <laughs> well, they had the guy to, to who made those movies. I just know. Waiting. I know. So, so, I don't know. So it, it kind of you kind of get the sense that like the idea of, of 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 a Back to the Future influence has been there for a while. You know what I mean? So it's kind of cool that that if now if uh, if Daly and Goldstein want to run with that idea, bring it on. You know, um, yeah. I mean, I, I I totally see it. I like that inspiration. I'd love to see what Ezra Miller could do in a sort of Marty McFly capacity. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, my concern is that like you know, I, I would want to make sure though that it has the emotional beats. But I feel like it'll have that. You know, what I mean, because I the 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 storyline with his father that was introduced in Justice League to me was very appealing. I, I wanted to see more of Billy Crudup's character and how that storyline developed. So as long as there's a good emotional core to the story, I'll be very happy. You know, if it's totally just sort of like a flippant, just sort of it's just humorous and it's just light and bouncy, you know, it, that's fine. But I, I want Barry Allen's story to have some heft and some emotion to it. So as long as that's part of the equation, then bring it on, you know. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, did you have a take on that? Because I really want to talk Batman on you, but you brought up Flash, so. Well, I didn't know if that was something you wanted to – like that was the other kind of like – like it was like all those – Yeah, no, it's, it's true. That, it, see, like there's been so much this week. There's been so much, and I feel like – Are we missing anything else other than like the Batman stuff? Was there – like we talked the merger. Well, there was also – I mean Jim Lee got a promotion, so that's pretty crazy. You know, Jim Lee now is the chief creative officer, so that's, you know, that, that's kind of in and of itself pretty big news. Then there was just the reports in general about – about how like how Hamada's running things now, how he doesn't want to announce things too far in advance and attach dates to things, and how he's trying to change the culture over there. They said, "Am I allowed to swear in your podcast?" Yeah, absolutely. They said, uh, they, they said uh, that when he came in, it was kind of like a shit show. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like that. I was like, God. Yeah, man. What the? F- how did they? I know. Why they let frat boys run the show here? I don't get it. And that's so. the thing, though. It's not even my. It, 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 it was empty suits running the show. You know what I mean? It was people who looked at DC and it, instead of as a as a great place to mine for stories and interesting characters, all, they just strictly saw it as an intellectual property that they wanted to take advantage of. You know, for them it was all about how do we sell action figures? How do we make as much money off of this IP as possible? There was no thought or care at all put into like actually treating these characters or this mythology with any kind of respect you know i mean it was strictly empty suits just making decisions because they thought it would lead to money without actually thinking carefully about what the fuck they were doing and they actually lost money with justice league if i'm not mistaken right like they lost a lot of money yeah i I don't know about a lot but yeah i i I, it, it somehow failed to break even honestly that's an area where i get very shaky you know what I mean? When I'm like, if the movie cost $300 million to make and it made just south of $700 million, shouldn't there be a profit in there somewhere? But, you know, it's just, it's, uh, that, 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 I, you know, that, that's for someone uh, above my pay grade to figure that out. Um, so anyway, when it comes to, uh, yeah, when it comes to just DC News, the, 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 there's been a lot. But now I kind of want to zero in on Batman stuff, if that's all right with you, Mr. Justin. So, you know, the, the juicy stuff, the juicy stuff. So, I mean, so let's kind of recap specifically the Batman plot line this week. So basically on Monday, you had deadlines saying that Affleck's unlikely to return and that Matt Reeves, you know, they categorized it as Matt Reeves is rebooting Batman for a standalone franchise. Then there was the chatter the other day on the in the Hollywood Reporter once again saying that it looks like Ben Affleck will be recast because Reeves turned in the first like act of his script and it centers on a young Caped Crusader as opposed to the old grizzled Bruce Wayne that we've seen thus far. And then today there was another thing like from Forbes and even and the rap and dead and, and you know the, everyone is basically chimed in saying we heard he's done. You know, it's it. It seems to be as close to official as it's ever been after a year and a half, really, of hearing that he might be done. Uh, now we're you know it looks like we're as close as as we've ever been to actually having it be official. Um, so there's a lot to sort of unpack here. Uh, I I don't even really want to talk about the Affleck angle that much. I I want to focus more on what we think Reeves is thinking here in terms of. You know, the young Batman and, and rebooting it. Because um, I have my own theories, but I want to ask you, like you, you read these stories this week. What, are you, what did you take away? For you, what's the moral of the story with Batman after all these little rumors that have popped up in the last four days? 
Well, it's it's really kind of like like as an outsider kind of looking in at you know Matt Reeves is a is a filmmaker, but to me he really hasn't proved like yes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is amazing, but War of the Planet of the Apes really didn't cement for me that he could handle this you know this property um and look we've talked on you know yeah, you on know, your I show said, yeah I, I said why is he the guy what made him the the one you know it, did he have like an interesting take that warner brothers like there was never it was kind of like after affleck fell out of you know d- the director's chair it was like immediate boom matt, matt reeves, reeves is gonna pop yeah. And to me, that was to me like at the time I was like, oh, I really like I really dug Cloverfield. I really dug you know Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and you know, and then yeah, I went he wasn't and saw, just this slam dunk for you when they announced it. No, it was. It, it, whenever there's like a new Batman director or a new Batman, I, I kind of always think is like, why is you know unlike Ben Affleck, like as soon as Ben Affleck was announced, is like. Ooh, I really like that. I like. Yeah. I, I think he's perfect for the role. You know, when Christopher Nolan was, you know, when he was, you know, cast in the director's chair, I said, "Well, w- why is he doing it? What? W- how has he proven himself?" You know, obviously he made Memento. I really liked Insomnia. Me too. But but I I was like, well, you know, can he handle the action? Can he handle? Does he? Is he going to get into the mythology of who Batman and Bruce Wayne are? So it's it's interesting to kind of look at the, you know like what was it about? There's a lot of other directors that I think could have done a great job, but uh, but you know Matt Reeves is doing it, and you know as we look, he wants to do like something. It sounds like you know a, a younger Batman, someone who hasn't been in Gotham for you know for 20 years. Maybe he wants to do something where Batman's been in Gotham for five years. You know, I tweeted out the you know the other day about this young Batman, and I said, uh, I, I, I think I said something like, I'm not totally sold on the idea. I'm happy that we're getting a Batman film, but for me, what I've always wanted to see in a Batman movie that I feel like we haven't gotten yet is really Batman in his prime, right? You know, like yeah. Batman Forever, I feel like, is the closest to that, right? Like maybe the Dark Knight, but yeah, really Yeah, I not... was going to say Dark Knight, yeah. But we really didn't get this. That was if Joker's you... movie. <laughs> right, right. So, I'm like, my, my thing, I want to see Batman in his prime. I want to see... You know, I want to see a movie where we're seeing, you know, Batman. Like, what I love so much about Batman Begins is like the last like hour of the movie. It's Batman, 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 Batman. Like, it's he's almost like in the cowl, like the whole last hour of that film, which is amazing. So that's what I'm really hopeful for. Like, I really want to see, you know, Batman in his prime. Like, like because when Batman's in his prime. You get, you know, the villains like the Joker really in his prime. You get, you know, you get, uh, you know, his, you know, his supporting characters like Alfred, I was going to say, yeah. And even you know, like the, the, the even like Robin and all that sort of stuff, you have the, you know, you, you, you know, t- technically they're around and they're, they're an active part of his story. Having... So I assume that at, if we're going to get this younger Batman that, you know, Robin will be involved Mm-hmm. In some capacity, um, I don't think that it's going to be a like a Batman where he's the only hero of Gotham City. Yeah. I feel like we're going to get. 
I don't think we're going to go like really with the changes, everything like and Nightwing, not like at the forefront of, you know, Chris McKay is really not at the forefront of like that film right now. He's doing something else. I really think it's going to be like a Robin centric. I don't know if it's going to be Dick. I don't know if it's going to be Jason Todd, you know, Tim Drake, you know, Carrie Kelly, all those different Robins. But I feel like at some there's going to be some capacity of a Robin. It's interesting to see what kind of like uh, what kind of like storyline they you know they tackle with that. I, mean, I feel like it's uh, only natural for them to go and plant the seeds for Nightwing because they want to make a Nightwing movie. You know, right, right. But my my question though, like I. I when I heard that, I, you know, I got a little titillated. I got a little excited um, for, you know, for this, you know, younger Batman. I like the older grizzled Batman, but, you know, we've kind of like seen that a couple in a, in a lot of the Batman movies, right? Yeah, in you know, Dark, like, Dark Knight Rises, he right. was old. And like, even in like Batman and Batman Returns, he 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 was kind of like had already been doing it, but and Michael Keaton was already at like 39 or something, 38 at the, well, oh, he was, yeah, what an old man, 39. Oh. Well, I'm, I'm not saying, <laughs> but like we haven't really gotten that, you know, that, he, that seemed, 30, yeah, he seemed a little weary. He seems a little like a veteran. You know, we didn't see Batman at 30 kicking ass and taking names. We haven't right, really seen right. that. But I my question mean. going forward is, okay, so if it sounds like it's going to be he Matt Reeves is rebooting Batman. So no Ben Affleck. Does that mean no J.K. Simmons? Does that mean no, you know, Alfred Jeremy Irons? Does that mean, you know, uh, new Batmobile, new Bats? What? See, a part of me feels it's going to be a soft reboot. It's more like, you know, he's going to realign things. It's going to be, you know, like a tonal sort of reboot. But I feel like it's going to have some connective tissue to what we've seen already. You know what I mean? I, I don't. I don't. So you think they're so you, you think right they're gonna you think they're just gonna throw the baby out with the bash the, the bathwater? We're gonna get a new Commissioner Gordon, a new Alfred, a new everything. That's what you think. I do because how can you have Jeremy Irons, uh, you know, who is an older gentleman? How can how can we we go back and make him a young guy? Like I feel like you well, need that some... sort of stuff can be done digitally. I mean, didn't we already try that with a mustache? Um, <laughs> but I, I, I really think hey, didn't that... Hey, your, your, your Tron Legacy did it with uh, Jeff Bridges, didn't it? No, that was a terrible CGI face. <laughs> I never saw it, so I can't really Oh, it's judge. terrible. It's <laughs> almost as bad as that mustache. But, um, but, but that was 2010. It's 2018 now. I really do think that he's going to go in just from like things that I'm slowly hearing... Like the script is on lockdown, right? Like he's only giving, you know, from what you know what we've heard from the trades is there's only been 25 pages released, right? Mm-hmm. Who, what, when, when was the last time that you heard uh, of a movie, a filmmaker, a writer giving the studio 25 pages, and then like we're gonna give you another 25, we're gonna give you the second act, we're gonna give you the third act. Like yeah, most strange. Times, studios, um, they want to see the whole thing, right? Like yeah. you want to see the words on the page. Give me the script. Let's see the blueprint. Where are you going with this? Yeah. So to me, that means that, he, you know, he wants things under lock and key. He w- doesn't want leaks. 
And plus that could mean that he wants, you know, obviously if he, let's say that he turns in 25 pages to Hamada, Hamada's going to, you know, give his notes, but he wants it. He only wants to report to that person, right? He doesn't want other studio interference. You see where I'm getting at here? Yeah. He, 25 pages. If you don't like it, see you later kind of a thing. I don't know if it's let that conscious, you know, that contentious. Yeah. But I assume like that's that has to be, you know, a thought in his brain because I don't know. I've I've never heard of like, you know, maybe maybe there has been, you know, a script where a situation where script. I mean, like, I feel like well, stuff like this has happened, but not like a year and a half after you got the job. You know, what I mean, like, I, I could see him submitting twenty-five pages, and like you know, if, if he just booked it a couple of weeks ago or you know, a, a month or two ago, to show them what he's working on. He's had this job for so long that I'm with you that the, the, something doesn't smell quite right here. I'm not saying of- that I, I, I like the my smell meter's not going off like per se, but I'm just saying it. It just is a little unconventional i feel like that's the correct word for that right yeah there's definitely something unconventional here with that and it's it's interesting that we are kind of like well he only gave 25 and that like and it was given like on a holiday weekend right which was strange too yeah memorial Um, day weekend so like that to me means that he really wants to keep things under lock and key because who and Hollywood works on the weekends, right? So, <laughs> yeah. like, it's if there's just a lot of, he, I feel like he wants, I don't know, like, I'm just kind of like reading the tea leaves or you know seeing the, you know the trees for the forest, if you will. Yeah. Like so far, he's he's getting a new Batman. That's what he wants. He wants a new Batman. He wants a new Gotham City. He wants to tell the story he wants to tell. I mean, maybe he brings back J.K. Simmons, and maybe he brings back Jeremy Irons, but I just don't see that. He wants to cast the people he wants to cast. He wants to tell the story he wants to tell. And, you know, as long as the end product is good, it really doesn't matter. Do I want to see J.K. Simmons continue on as Commissioner Gordon? Hell yes. I love him in Patriot's Day. (laughs) Do I want to see, you know, Jeremy Irons as Alfred going forward? Absolutely. But if... Matt Reeves decides, look, this is what I want to do. I want to cast um, Colin Firth as Alfred. Okay. See, I don't know. I, I so I'm I'm firmly of the mind that it won't be a hard reboot. And I, I wrote about this on Revenge of the Fans on Wednesday, because even if you look at the wording on things, even like we're we're dead line said about the reboot it said basically he's rebooting it but ben affleck is unlikely to return like if this were a hard reboot then of course he's not returning you know what i mean i feel like i feel like if they were to since warner brothers hasn't like come out and officially said that ben affleck is not returning i feel like that that's just kind of trying to soften the blow because there are a lot of batfleck fans out there right it's it's curious there's still a lot of question marks going for me, pun intended. Um, I don't like so like last week the the news with the penguin g- gonna be the main baddie. I don't buy that. Yeah. I don't think that's gonna be the the case. I feel like uh, the person who said that uh, mixed up you know the the baddie for Birds of Prey. I feel like that's gonna be the Birds of Prey baddie. Mm-hmm. I I feel like there's definitely some question marks. Uh, so, we'll see. so basically with all these rumors and whatnot, you're still basically sort of uncertain and you don't, you know, you, you still want to see how it all plays out. I, I just want to see the picture cast. I think that's what the biggest thing is for me. 
I want to know who Batman's going to be. Is it going to be Jake Gyllenhaal? I would love to see that. It wouldn't be the first time that we see a Spider-Man villain play Batman. Just saying. <laughs> um, It'd if, be in reverse, wouldn't it? Yeah. I, I, Jake Gyllenhaal's still my guy, uh, my main man, my, uh, my compadre, if you will. Oh, if he wow. doesn't get cast, um, I'd like to see Army Hammer. I don't know. Like, I just don't think that they're going to go with the older I don't see John Hamm being cast in this picture. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, see, w- what I kind of see happening, kind of what I hope happens, is you know, when they say younger, they don't mean like rookie Batman. Because a lot of people instantly go to like, oh, this is going to be like an origin again. And I don't think that's what that means. Young is I, a vague term. And I feel like... I feel like there's going to be some origin elements, yes. Well, I'm trying to tell you what I think, damn it. <laughs> I'm just saying, there, there. Why couldn't there be origin elements, though? Well, I hope not, because we've already we we just kind of retreaded some origins, and we saw the parents get killed in BVS, and I don't know. I I I don't want to see an origin. I feel like Batman Begins nailed the origin, and that and that whole Dark Knight trilogy still fresh in people's minds. What I what I want them I, what I wanted to do is is basically kind of re, re, like. Rewind the timeline about 10 years so that it predates what we saw in BVS. It predates what we saw in Justice League and everything else. So you have a Batman in his like early to mid-30s who's in his prime. Who and, and, and you know he's dealing with the J.K. Simmons, Commissioner Gordon. He's got Alfred. So they're still in place. We have a Batman who's about 10 to 15 years younger, played by Army Hammer, who to me could play a younger version of Ben Affleck's Batman. Um... And that's it. And it's more of like a soft reboot. It's almost, you know, it, it, it's, it does for Batman what like Thor Ragnarok did for Thor, where it's like it's technically a sequel, but it's different enough to make him fresh and different. And it's like, a, you know, it, it repositions him. I thought you were going to say Batman Forever. Well, I mean, and then that, that's another one. I don't, I don't like talking about Batman Forever, but the same sort you of You don't idea. like Batman Forever? <sighs> well, when was the last time you saw Batman Forever? It's actually probably been around like 16 years. So. Go rewatch Batman Forever. I'm telling you, you will actually like. You know what? This isn't so bad. Well, maybe I will. But re- regardless, you know, I feel like it's going to be more like that, where there will be connective tissue, there will be some holdover cast members, there will be the possibility to once again sort of cross migrate him with like Gal Gadot and Henry Cavill down the line, whoever this new actor is. I don't think it's going to be just a complete standalone reboot that has nothing to do with what we've seen before. That 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 you know, I hope it's not, and I kind of just get the sense that it won't be. Interesting. So what 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 are some elements that you would that you want to see from Matt Reeves's Batman film? Well, I'm all in on that idea about the like noir detective story. I, I want this to be like – that's why for, to me it's important that we start with Batman basically in progress. He's established. He's in his prime. He's doing his thing. And the movie opens with some immediacy of some sort of crisis. Something's going on at Arkham Asylum that he has to deal with tonight. And it's a very sort of self-enclosed story like the Arkham games. Or just something where just like you know, it's it just, they hit the ground running. There's a mystery. Riddler's on the loose. Someone the, the someone's been kidnapped, or something's going on, and he has to piece together clues and fi- and figure this out before you know Riddler kills the person or something like that. You know, or you or even do an adaptation of the of like the Hush story. I would completely sidestep any kind of origin thing and just have this be a day or two in the life of Batman. That's what I would. Um, 
so if they're going to do a no you know noir detective story would it make sense to have like the riddler as like the main guy instead of penguin yeah absolutely that's why i i I, i'm with you i don't buy the penguin thing either either i'm pretty for me the penguin thing seems to be like it's it's for birds of prey i don't i don't see penguin being i could see him maybe like being a mini boss or someone that we encounter along the way but not the central villain so i'm with you there um do you want to see a redesigned bat suit do you want to see a redesigned batmobile bat cave gotham city See, I loved the suit from BVS. I hate. Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of what we saw in Justice League, but the BVS suit, I love. So I, I wouldn't mind if that's it, or maybe just like a an earlier version of that. You know what I mean? The suit, I've seen so many different suits. I, I don't know if I need to see a reinvention of it. I really like a lot of people hate the Batman Begins suit, but I love that. I much I prefer that Batman Begins suit over the Dark Knight suit. Mm-hmm. My favorite Bat suit is you know the Batman eighty nine and the Ben Affleck Bat suit from BVS. But I really would like to see a redesigned Batcave. I never I don't like the really high techy elevated. Like my Batcave has like cave cavernous stuff around it. Yeah. Um, I, I was like with bats flying around and, you know, he's got kind of like some of, you know, it's um, like installed within an actual cave. It's not this right. like technological, awesome warehouse space that he has in the, uh, in the current, you know, in the current DCU canon. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan. Like, you know, like Batman, the animated series, Batcave, Batman begins, Batman 89, Batcave, where it's like, you see, like, it's an actual cave and it's not like somebody's basement <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um i'm not a big fan of the batmobile from you know bvs or you know suicide squad or uh, well how would, not, you, how would you feel if the batmobile looks like the one from the animated series kind of like a big oh movie. hell yeah that's what i want them to do actually yeah that'd be awesome <laughs> that's what that is what i want like the most i i really just hope they just do that make it but make it black put a little things don't make it as long kind of a thing so yeah but uh that's what I like. Hope for is, I I love the animated series. Like I've talked to Paul Dini a lot about that stuff. So, um, I really wish that they you know brought him on as like an advisor or consultant, you know, for these Batman, you know, things. So yeah, um, that'd be nice. <laughs> just Bat Reeves. Just do Batman the animated series. Just, yeah. <laughs> so it yeah. sounds like let's just make Batman the animated series into a movie, and that's all we need. Yes, do that. All right, sounds good. So you know what, Justin? I feel like uh, I feel like I've taken up enough of your time. We've uh, this has been one hell of a chat, and uh, I just want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, and, and making it extra special. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate. it. I'll do this whenever you want. Just, all right. Just- and I'll come on yours whenever you want. And maybe we'll yeah. do like we should do like a joint show one day. We'll get Kyle involved too. Yeah, I don't care. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, we'll do all that stuff. So, um, I'm you, I'm down for that. For you sure, you sure. want to let people know how to find you on uh, on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Batman Chandlin. You can follow the podcast, you know, website stuff at uh, Chandlin on Bat. You can find us on Facebook at Batman. Shaylin on Batman podcast. I always screw that up for some reason. <laughs> um, so that's where you can find me, and then you can you know read articles and stuff from us at www.shaylinonbatman.com. dot 
Bianca. B-E-A-Utiful. All right, Justin. So thank you once again, and uh, I'll see you around. All righty there, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. I know I certainly enjoyed taking part in it. Right now, before I wrap up, I want to mention that the Revenge of the Fans podcast network continues to grow. Last week, we added a new show to our roster. It's called the Play It Loud cast, and it is it is the first gaming podcast that we've put together for RevengeOfTheFans.com. So be sure to check them out. Subscribe. They put up their second episode today, same day as mine. Just as a you know, just to recap what happened over at E3, lots of crazy news came out of this year's show, and uh, that's it. Right now, I have 39 reviews on Apple Podcasts, so I got to ask, who's gonna be number 40? Bring it on! But anyway, thanks for listening, and as always, keep your browsers tuned to RevengeOfTheFans.com for all your latest news, analysis, reviews, and bochinche on your favorite geek properties. Everyone, life is chaos, be kind. And until next week, adios.